What's shaking Fire Nation? JLD here with an audio masterclass that I hope you listen to with an open heart because if you apply these principles, great things will happen in your business. This audio masterclass is how serving people first can lead to success in your business, Fire Nation. And to rock the mic with me today, I have brought Peter Rex, who's an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, and a thought leader who has built a billion-dollar investment business from scratch in less than seven years and now runs a technology company based in Seattle, Washington. So we're going to be breaking down with Peter this awesome content when we get back from thanking our sponsor. So what makes ZipRecruiter so smart? ZipRecruiter doesn't overwhelm you with unqualified candidates. Its powerful technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills and experience and actively invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. And as applications come in, their technology analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates to save you time and make sure you never miss a great match. And right now you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ziprecruiter.com slash fire. That's ZipRecruiter dot com slash fire zip recruiter the smartest way to hire peter say what's up to fire nation and share something interesting about yourself that most people don't know what's going on fire nation good to meet everybody here via voice at least and uh looking forward to this and something about me most people don't know is that i actually speak spanish at home um, with my family, with my kids. My uh, son doesn't even know English yet, even though we live in Seattle and our previous home was San Francisco. We just moved up here to Seattle. Uh, the reason why he doesn't know English is because we speak only Spanish in the home in order to teach him Spanish. Um, this is a, uh, my wife is actually from Puerto Rico, born and raised in uh, Cupe Alto. So if you know Rio Piedras area, I know you're over there, JLD, in Puerto Rico. Then she's up in the mountains up there. Yeah, you're actually very close to where I'm at right here in Palmas del Mar. So that's super cool. If you ever make it to the island, you're definitely going to have to uh, come over to my pad to hook it up. And Fire Nation, as I mentioned in the intro, Peter's going to be rocking about how serving people first can lead to success in your business. We're going to be talking about a lot of awesome things. So Peter, give us a teaser. Like, What do we have coming up for Fire Nation? What I'm going to do here is kind of pull everyone back in real quick and set the foundation in order to make it really clear to Fire Nation, you know, who I am and why you should listen to me. Because I think if I was in your shoes, I'd be thinking this dude better, you know, establish himself immediately. Who the hell is he and why the hell do I want to listen to him? So that's what I'm going to do first. I'm trying to think about it from the position of Fire Nation's shoes, you know, love it. the the entrepreneurs out of there, that the people that want to be entrepreneurs, I want to make it happen. So who I am is Peter Rex. I am building the biggest company ever built, period, which is a very bold statement, but it's true. It's called Trustwork, and Trustwork is going to be the number one largest company in the world. Right now, I'm actually in Seattle, just moved up from San Francisco, where I live pretty close to Amazon's headquarters and Microsoft's headquarters. So uh, we're uh, gunning for them, and we're going to take them out. And, and how am I going to do that? You know, it seems like such a bold, ridiculous claim. Well, my background is, I'll jump into it real quick to give you some credibility, is I started from nothing, um, started from middle class, pretty much nothing. And then as far as in business, didn't know a damn thing, worked my way in through hustling, built a billion dollar real estate company. And then from there, I uh, decided to, I wanted to continue to go big and kind of fulfill my life mission, which was I wanted to build something absolutely massive and game changing for everybody in the entire world. 
what I ended up doing was I went to, I made a map of all the countries in the world and I ended up going to 85 different countries over a year and a half um, with my wife and child and in, in, interviewed, investigated and got on the ground in 85 different countries. You know, I don't know how many cities, every major city in these countries had over a thousand meetings with business people and also put together 1600 pages of notes as I mapped out this plan for trust work which is going to be the largest company in the world. So this is this is what I did. My background is not from business at all, actually. So I had to figure it out on my own how to be an entrepreneur. I was a philosophy major from Georgetown University, a double major. And I had a JD, a law degree from Harvard Law. Um, so extremely ignorant about business, didn't know what the hell I was doing. and actually didn't really like business and kind of looked at it as something sort of flashy for people who just want money, but found my way back into jumping into business, coming out of college, which we can get into. But that that's what I got. And the only two things I would ask of the Fire Nation here is what I'm going to ask as we go here, what I'm hoping will happen is the Fire Nation will join the Trust Work Nation. We actually call it the Trust Work Nation as oh, well. Wow. And the Trust Work Nation is very similar to the Fire Nation. So this is actually quite appropriate that this is the first interview I've ever done over four, 13 to 14 years. I've never taken one interview. And now we're kicking off. So it's a very good way to kick it off because I want to get the Fire Nation to join the Trust Work Nation in any way possible. You know, even just supporting us, following uh, me, uh, Peter Rex, I'm at Peter Rex on, on Twitter or um, following some of our videos, promoting that material. We're trying to build what we're doing is we have a three step process to build out the largest company ever built. And it's about our mission is to empower people to rise up and live abundantly. It's about entrepreneurship. So our first thing is we're Uberizing real estate services, which kind of goes back to my background coming out of the real estate industry. I actually started in construction and built my way out to a billion dollar company. But then the second step is we're going to build a platform of entrepreneurship. And actually that already exists, but the tools are getting put on there. And being that I came from uh, a philosophy, a Harvard law degree, didn't know anything about business, I had to figure out entrepreneurship. And that's what this platform is about. But it's not just about entrepreneurs only in the USA. We actually want entrepreneurs everywhere in the world. That's why I did that 85 country trip. So that's it. Those are the only two asks I got for people. And the ways you can help is, like I said, follow us. Just be a fan. Help us support us. If you want to join the team, you can apply as well. We're looking for the most elite, hard-driving, smartest people with the highest character out there. Or if you're a venture capitalist and you want to invest, well, we, we may be opening up around or we will be opening up around for investment here shortly. I've self-capitalized the company up until now. And um, but we're going to open up for you know much bigger rounds of money, 100, 100 plus million dollars, billion dollars, you know, whatever. That's what we're up to. I love this. And Fire Nation, you've heard me talk about this before. You have two options in life. Do you want to live that mindset of scarcity and just have that mindset of scarcity going forward? Like when somebody takes a piece of the pie, that's a smaller piece for you. Or do you want to live that life of abundance and that mindset of abundance that Peter was talking about? That's what Trust Work Nation is all about. So obviously you can follow Peter and what he has going on at Peter Rex on Twitter. Is there any other place the foundation can go, Peter, if they want to like check out this employment opportunities, this venture capital, et cetera? I mean, I would just check trustwork.com. At Peter Rex, I mean, you can just see information coming out. We're going to start releasing videos as we go. We've got a few videos up there already, but more content will be coming out. We're just kind of getting ramped up on the video or the communication side of things. Trustwork.com. And of course, check out at Peter Rex Fire Nation. And who knows, you might be part of this incredible movement. Now, obviously, Peter, you have had massive success over the past 14 years. What do you credit a lot of that success to? Well, first of all, I want to say, JLD, a couple things to you. Um, 
you are actually a very, uh, yeah, I've looked into your background. Obviously, we picked this podcast pretty uh, carefully because it matches to what we're about as, as a nation, as Trustwork Nation, it matches to what Fire Nation's about here. And you are somebody, my parents are teachers. My mom was an elementary school teacher. My dad was a middle school teacher. And there's a saying out there people say, which I always hated, which, you know, those who do do and those who can't do teach. Mm. But you've been able to prove that you can do both teach and do. And you've pulled it off. And Thank you're you. making money. You're a successful entrepreneur, JLD. And it's very impressive. And you're in an area that's actually one of the hardest industries to make money in media. I mean, look at like, you know, everyone's struggling. Like even Jeff Bezos is struggling with uh, what with the Washington Post to turn that thing profitable, right? So, you know, and then secondly, I want to say thanks for your service in the military. It uh, means a lot and keep our country safe. And, and you put in a lot, you put your life at risk there. So, Well, I appreciate both those things, brother. It really means a lot. I'm pretty fired up right now to learn more about trust work as this interview goes on. And I really want to be a part of this movement. I want you, Fire Nation, to be jumping on board as well, because this is how we're going to impact the world in a massive, massive way. So what do you credit your success to? There's always a number of things, JLD, and, that, and it's, it's easy to kind of go back so what I'm going to do is kind of just riff with you and just go off the top of my head, you know? Sure. And basically, as you as you look back, you know, there's this thing, the narrative fallacy. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. But it's basically the idea that you look back in history and you create a fallacy where you draw this straight line as though, you know, you were basically everything kind of, you know, collided like a domino effect of one thing to the other. But actually, everything was probabilistic in a way. And some things were kind of lucky. Some things were unlucky. And you kind of, you know, kind of, you know, meandered your way through. And I think the way I would look at it is probably there's a plurality of elements that led to me being successful and put me where I am right now. And, and, and some of these things are luck. I mean, the biggest luckiest thing you, know, you can have is being born to good parents that take care of you, right? And having a family and that show you love and things like that and teach you the basics of what being an entrepreneur is about, actually, which is about giving and about you know, serving others. So the second thing I would say um, that's very lucky is being born in the United States. I mean, this is a, a culture, this is a country that has been the land of opportunity in the past. My, my, my grandparents came here like so many other grandparents from, uh, I, my parents, my grandparents came from Ireland, but they were poor there and they were able to come here and they were able to make it happen, you know, in, in a way that was big for them. And they made big moves and, but big moves for them was my grandma was a, was an entrepreneur and the way she was an entrepreneur was she used to change, uh, change, uh, the beds at hotels, um, at night. And she used to do restaurant service and do a lot of odds and ends type jobs, cleaning work. And she saved her money and was able to get her kids into, into school, into good schools. This is in a time during the great depression and tough times. So she was a real entrepreneur and she's actually, you know, one of my heroes. And I've, uh, named my, my son's middle name and, you know, as, as after her maiden name actually, which is Ryan things I did that was in my control after being lucky. Right. I think some of it is being able to build a business on my own and be successful on that. Some of that could be temperament. So some of that's nature, but stuff that was nurture was I had a lot of boldness and I had a lot of guts. And I think that's extremely key. It's probably the most important thing in, in, in making and making it happen in business. You've got to have big gut, you got to have guts and you got to go after things. So no guts, no glory. Right. And, but basically the way I look at it is you, if you have a lot of guts and you're very bold, but you don't have any humility, then you're screwed. So actually I call it humbled, which means humble and bold. You got to be humble and bold. You got to have humility and you got to be bold because if you don't have that humility, then, well, I'd say first thing you got to be bold because you got to go after it hard and you got to make moves when everyone else is sitting around talking about it. Right. 
But if you don't make that move, you never see the results. You never see, you never get any information back. You never figure out if your idea was good or not. I mean, you should work it out and try to figure it out as much as you can. But at a certain point, when you pass the 70th percentile of understanding or probability of whether or not this thing is going to work or not, you got to test it and see if it's going to work, right? And then you keep keep making plays com- coming after it, right? So I think, but you got to have that humility to see you're off or where you're off or where your thinking was wrong. And if you don't have that humility, you're going to be a complete wreck. You're going to be a disaster. And I would say early on, I, I always had a lot of boldness. I think I lacked some humility and that's why I kind of, I kind of actually went, my, my trajectory is not linear at all. I kind of started, I had some construction money. I had set it aside. You know, we're talking like three, $4,000 here. I'm not talking a lot of money, but I had this money and I would use the interlibrary loan system. I knew I had, I knew I only really had two things because I didn't have an education in business and nobody in my family did business or knew anything about it. And I didn't have any connections. I was from upstate New York. So I knew that the two things I definitely had, though, was I had the ability to read stuff and comprehend it very well. I had done philosophy. Really, I'd done a double major. And I'd read like everything. I'd read like all Shakespeare's works. I'd read like tons of abstract material. It was a Straussian type approach to to, um, studying. So I knew I could read and comprehend things, right? And the second thing I knew is I knew I could build things. I knew I could build companies. I'd always been like, I was always, always had been, you know, captain of my, my teams, or soccer teams or whatever, or I'd been president of the class or I'd been good, you know, I'd been a natural leader. And I'd also built organizations that were nonprofit or service companies. I'd built a company that used to serve in college with Mother Teresa's sisters in uh, Southeast DC. So I'd always done, I had those two things and that was it. So that's not really not enough to be successful, but I used, I, lo- I looked at those objectively and I said, how the hell am I going to use these things to make this happen? Because I had very big ambitions. So I use the interlibrary loan system in New York, which is totally free and they can mail you books. And th- there's a lot of these interlibrary loan systems throughout the, the States, right? You can mail the books into a central location and you pick them up. So I took 150 plus books um, out like this. I took so many books out that the, <laughs> the librarians were, they kind of pissed off because they were just so overwhelmed by the amount of uh, stuff coming in. This is right when I got out of college and I would sleep on, I would cut, I would keep the cost down by you know, crashing on people's floors or being cool with my buddies and just staying at my brother as well. I'd stay at his, I'd sleep on his floor and uh, keep the cost down like that because I knew I had to keep the burn rate down. That way I can figure out what the hell I'm doing. This is about 13, 14 years ago. So I ended up using that knowledge and I, I would use multiple libraries I'd mail it to because the one library was getting pissed off with the amount of volume. And I just <laughs> hammered through all these materials. I mean, this is true, you know, and I would ma- hammer through all these materials. And then and then I started making, then I would, I got a mentor. I figured, okay, I got to get a mentor as well. I got a mentor. I had a couple different mentors that helped me to see things and understand things a little bit better. And, and they were, they were critical as well. And then I started making moves. Now my mentor would always tell me, you know, don't do that basically. And I would do it anyways, but I, I would understand the reason why he would say not to. And then I would just make the move. So I think that extreme bias to action is very important, but so started, starting to get in there, started, starting to make moves. But, you know, long story short, I did, I, I came in like a bull, like a, like a psycho, you know, I ended up uh, using a lot of debt to buy properties because no one was going to give me any money. I mean, no one was going to give me like really anything. And I had to, so if I could identify a property, that's why I came to the real estate side. If I could identify the property, I can sell someone on the property idea that I got, I got an investment. So I, I convinced them, listen, I got this deal and I would tie it up in a contract. I'd go and raise the money by cobbling together small amounts of money. I'm talking like a thousand bucks here couple thousand bucks here from different people, friends, family, other people I could, anybody I could find, right? Really anybody. And I cobbled this money together. I'd buy this deal, boom, renovate it, get the cash, uh, pull like, you know, line of credit or whatever, buy another deal, keep expanding. So within like a year or a year and a half, I bought like, you know, about a hundred apartments. So I, I blitzed the hell out of this thing. So 
that's the good news. So I learned a lot, blitzed the hell out of it, built a multi-million dollar base very, very fast, right? From nothing, absolutely nothing. Now, the downside on this was I didn't know what the hell I was doing in many ways. I'd read a lot of books, but you know, books are you know, not enough. You got to make the moves. And I ended up learning like a lot of lessons where I got, I got completely cracked. So I ended up, all the stuff I had built up, all the time I put in, I was working, you know, I was working really 24 hours a day in a way because I was sleeping and thinking about this stuff because I was under so much stress. And during that time period, I actually applied to Harvard Law School and, and I got in, but like in between the LSAT, I was like jamming on deals. Like literally they had to call me and be like, hey, you got to get off the phone and come back in if you want to finish this test. And I, and I ended up applying to the law school in the last possible day to, to make the application because I had so many things going on. I was trying to build this empire, you know? And anyways, um, bottom line is uh, I ended up getting completely wiped out in the Great Recession. The, the thing came down like a hammer on me. I almost went bankrupt. I didn't have anything because I didn't even, all the earnings I had, I, I could have bought like multiple Ferraris. I could have bought like a sick house, didn't buy anything. I deployed it all right back into the business. I literally didn't even have a car. I mean, I was straight broke. I didn't buy any clothes really besides like basics. I'd wear undershirts all the time. So I'd buy packages of undershirts to keep the cost down. I was, I was a psycho on keeping my cost down. And, um, and, and these are all good things. And I would kind of encourage people to do these, but I would say like, you know, be balanced. Don't be so, like, you know, put some money aside, like buy a car or buy some stuff, you know? But anyway, so I ended up getting wiped out in the financial crisis. This is 2007 or 2008. But what ended up happening was while I was getting like completely slammed and I didn't know what the hell was going on. I was like, yeah, like, I, I mean, I'm like running out of money fast. I had some reserves put up. It was just, I was getting, I was getting scorched. Anyways, my team sucked. I had built a company, but the company was nothing, man. I didn't know how to build the team correctly. So I spent like two, three years working 24 seven, building a team that was just fragile. It was going to break. Cause I just, the guys didn't know what they were doing. So when push came to shove, the team was like, you know, I was finding people stealing people, you know, drinking on the job, it's all sorts of bad stuff. Right. And so I had to like completely, you know, start from scratch again. I got na nailed down, but fortunately I didn't go bankrupt. I was able to kind of maneuver and hustle really fast and get my way out of the situation, but I lost everything. So it was a very bad moment, but I ended up getting kind of like this feeling that, you know, basically I'm either going to throw the towel in and say, I'm done, or I'm coming out like, furious. And I was like, it wasn't even really a question in my mind. I was going to come out like a, like even more amped up and more crazy now. Like I'm going to make this happen because now I know what's up. I know how to do this. And now I'm kind of like angry in a way because I'm almost like resentful about what just happened to me. And so I just looked at the market and everybody else is depressed, everybody. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm just like, all right, man, I'm coming out and I'm just going to completely crush it. And everybody who gave me money, they all lost their money. I'm going to pay them all back plus their their interest because I took money from people that just couldn't lose the money. I grew up in an area that just don't have money they can lose. So like, you know, 5,000 bucks for, you know, somebody is a lot of money for them. They saved that up like a hundred bucks a month or something over like 10 years. You know, it's like, it just took them a while to accrue this money and they decided to give it to me because they trusted me and they wanted to make money off it too. So it was an investment, but really they couldn't lose the money. So I, I owed people like you know, like 700,000 plus dollars and it was accruing at like 7% and I was broke, you know? So, but anyways, I was like, you know, I'm gonna pay all these people back plus their interest. And I'm, I was pref, so it wasn't interest, but preferred return and compounded. And I'm coming up bigger than ever before. So I came together with a plan and I had a plan to raise over a hundred million dollars in cash. And this is like, you know, in the down market. So everybody was like, this guy is completely an, an idiot. He doesn't know what's going on. There's no money around. And I was going to go out and basically build that billion dollar company and get that, get, get over a billion dollars in assets. And that's what I ended up doing. You know, long story short is I basically just came out it 
and just kept coming, you know, kept trying to raise money, kept trying to get after deals, you know, had a lot of, uh, you know, failures where people just were like, screw you. I'm not giving you any money, man. We don't have any money. I mean, people would meet with me in Wall Street. I, I, I went after Wall Street at this point. So I'd go down to like Manhattan, just like bang on like doors of hedge funds, any group I could get my, my hands on, right? Any, any investment group. And nobody gave me money, zero. <laughs> they would take meetings with me, I think, just because they had nothing else to do during this time period because everybody else is hurting. <laughs> so there's no deals. So they just like wasted my time. And then they would just tell me very trite things like, listen, you don't have a track record, you know, and stuff like that. I'm just like, all right, man, but how do you start if you don't have a track record? You know, people always say that you got to have a track record and other trite things. Yeah, but like, okay, so, you know, what's the track record to getting like, you know, into the into the big leagues if you've never been there? So how do you get that leap in? So what the hell does that mean? I have a track record. You're trying to tell me like, basically, I got to get in the back. of I got to get in the back of the bus. I'm never going to be able to like, I'm never going to be able to make this happen. So any thoughts on your, your NJLD? A lot of thoughts, Peter. That was a long little segment there about, you know, how you just kind of went from where you were to awesomeness to, okay, you're going to get side swiped by the economy to, okay, now I'm going to get back. I'm going to put my big boy britches on and I'm going to keep moving forward. And the way that you did this and the way that you've built this, you know, billion dollar business that we just talked about earlier is you had this people first approach and this people first approach is so big. It's so huge. So you're speaking with Fire Nation right now who are entrepreneurs. So if they wanted to move forward with a people first approach to building a business, how would you recommend they do that? How would you recommend they identify the right people to have the success in the business that you've had? Here's kind of the thing. I, I do have a people first approach. There's no question about it. Actually, our first ideal in the company is team first for that reason. But I, w- I wasn't always like that because when I had, I had researched and read a lot of books, I actually had a number of heuristics I would use, you know, rules of thumb. And one of them was I got to keep cash flow. So and cash flow's intention is in, in direct tension with hiring the best people and getting the best people on your team because the best people cost a lot of money. You know this yourself, JLD. I mean, you're, you're crushing it with your podcast. So, you know, you got a team there and you want to get good people, man. They're not cheap. You know, they're expensive. So now if you want to get cheaper people that are lower cost, well, it's going to actually cost you more money in the long run, which, you know, you're wise enough to know. But I was not wise enough to realize that at first. So what I did was I would say I would not only in the way I was assembling my team early on, this 13, 14 years ago when I was starting, I was also hiring contractors who would underbid other people. So if I was doing a hundred, $200,000 job, I knew construction, but my background was a day laborer or not day laborer, a laborer though, like kind of totally grunt work type construction. But I did know some stuff, you know, cause I grew up a little bit doing this type of stuff. So I, I would be comfortable hiring these guys, but you got to basically micromanage a low end construction group, if they get in there and they underbid like a really good one, and then I would micromanage them. But then as I scaled out my, my empire sort of thing, I couldn't do that anymore. Right. So things started falling apart there. People would, I would have shrinkage. I'd have, you know, people are basically stealing materials and goods. Mm. So I think I ended up having to sort of expand my people first mentality because my people first thinking was about my partnerships. I was like, well, any partner I bring on is going to be the best, you know, and I'm a very long-term minded guy. And I would build friendships with them. So my early partners are still partners with me, actually, over 13, 14 years. I think business partnerships last like a year or something. My partnerships have not, actually. They've been very, very strong. But I'm very careful about them. But then what I ended up doing was I devolved this thinking out to everything, which basically go expensive on people and go cheap on commodities. So like when you're dealing with like any other thing, like pricing or anything you've got, you try to get the best deal possible. When it's with the person, though, you just pay up. Pay up for people, pay down for commodities. 
that's the smartest way to try to achieve your cash flow in the long run. You have more, more cash flow in the long run. So it's more wise. And, and for, for an entrepreneur out there or for somebody that's trying to think about how do I assemble my team, then they need to, or, or how do I build the team or how do I put people first? Well, I think you got to start from the first, from the very first moment is think about yourself and what you're lacking. And that's hard to do. You're actually going to need other people to help you out with this. Um, once you figure out what you're lacking, because you're all going to, everyone out there that's listening has unique talents that are special gifts, that are talents that are better than me. They're going to be better than me in something. And I'm going to be better than them in something else, right? But you got to figure out what you're better at than anyone else at, really, or that you can be better than anybody else at because you have a natural talent there. And then you got to figure out where you naturally suck, which I suck at a number of things, but it took me a while to figure that out. But once you figure out where you suck at, then you got to figure out someone who's really good at that. Then you bring those people on and you bring, and that, that's kind of the team you want to assemble, right? But then as you think about your business, you got to start with the end in mind where you want to focus. You know, Aristotle talks about anybody who's, we're all, he says, uh, human beings are goal-oriented creatures, right? So they have to start with the goal. They have to think about what, what are they targeting? What are they trying to do? But you think about a, a, if you're going to be starting a business and you're thinking about a business, you, you can't be too abstract. You got to be concrete. Well, who is your target customer? That's a term I use inside the company, the target customer. What does that even mean? Like there's a lot of potential customers, right? But some of the customers have market power. So for you, I would imagine JLD, and I don't know the podcast business at all. Like I said, this is even my first podcast I've ever done or first interview I've ever taken. So for you though, your target customer, I would imagine is a, is a listener who wants to be or is an entrepreneur and wants to thrive in that area. And you've got to make it happen for them. The more you make it happen for them, the better you're going to do because that's your target customer. They have the market power because the better that you serve them, the more users you get, the more advertisers want to deal with you, the more people want to, you know, let, you can leverage your services and suite of things that you offer. Similarly, I'd say for anybody who's out there is not for you got to think about, you got to like kind of get out of yourself right away from the beginning and think about yourself from outside yourself and say, what do I suck at? What am I really good at? Who do I need to compliment me? And who the hell, who are we going to serve with this business? And then, and then you, and then from there you could just start, and then you come up with a plan. How am I going to execute on this? How am I going to deliver that value, that product to that target customer? Fire Nation, a lot of things I really want to make sure you're taking in here. A couple of notes that I took, go expensive on people, save money on the commodity side of things. And I love that phrase, where do you naturally suck? I suck at some things. I mean, let's be honest, Peter sucks at some things as he admitted. We all suck at certain things, Fire Nation. You hire great people there. And then who is your target customer? And this is Peter, who I actually call my avatar, my perfect listener. His name is Jimmy. He's 38 years old. He has a wife and two kids, ages three and five. He has a 25-minute commute to work. He hates his job. I could go on and on and on about him. So you're so right, Peter. I know inside and out my perfect listener for my show so I can speak and create and design the perfect product slash podcast, which is what you're listening to, Fire Nation. But guess what? Not all of you are Jimmy. Not all of you are 38 years old with a wife and two kids. I totally get that. But knowing your perfect target customer, that avatar, that perfect listener is going to help you hone in that North Star and create a great product that other people are going to benefit from as well. And we have... Peter's aha moment coming up, Fire Nation, when we get back from thanking our sponsor. Fire Nation, I'm here with Ian Siegel, the CEO of Zip Recruiter. And Ian, I assume that you had a few hiring challenges of your own before you founded Zip Recruiter. What encouraged you to build Zip Recruiter to begin with? The decision to build ZipRecruiter stemmed from my own frustration with how time consuming and frustrating the hiring process was. 
I was working for startups where we were too small to have our own HR department. And so I was posting my own jobs to multiple job sites and then finding my own way to get the candidates out of those sites. It was one of the things I looked forward to the least in executing my role. I built ZipRecruiter to create a one-click simple solution where you push a button and your job goes to every job site on the web and then all the candidates come into one easy-to-review list. It makes the hiring process so much simpler and it makes it so much faster to find the right person. Fire Nation, I can empathize with how Ian used to feel. Can you? Because before ZipRecruiter, you had to go to multiple sites, each with their own unique login and password combination. The process was so disorganized. Being able to access all your job candidates in one place is a huge time saver. Having an organized process is critical, Fire Nation, when you hire, and it's built in with ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter makes hiring simple. With one click, ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. ZipRecruiter's powerful technology scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right skills, education, and experience and actively invite them to apply to your job. It's no wonder ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. based on Trustpilot ratings of hiring sites with over a thousand reviews. And right now, Fire Nation, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash fire. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash F-I-R-E, ZipRecruiter.com slash fire. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So Peter, we're back and you've had a lot of aha moments over your career. No diggity, no doubt. But let's talk about one that you've had that you think would really be impactful and educational for Fire Nation. Tell us that story. When I was in college, I thought about becoming a celibate missionary in the Catholic Church. Um, so that's kind of a, maybe that's something I should have said that people don't know. But uh, <laughs> anyways, I spent a little time in discernment. That wasn't going to work because I'm not good with authority at all. So I just do not function well. And they actually, it was, it, the, uh, the at the seminary, they were almost thought I was like intentionally bucking their authority all the time. And I told them, no, I'm actually trying to like, <laughs> trying to like listen and stuff. But they just like, you're like, dude, what is up with you? I was like 18, you know? So anyways, I ended up channeling that idealism and I ended up going to... Um, in college, I thought, you know, okay, well, what the hell am I going to do? I want to still serve, you know? And I got this very strong fire inside me. So I ended up thinking, well, maybe I got to go to public service. And so I transferred from an unknown school to Georgetown University because they're in DC. And I thought, all right, you know, that's the center of, you know, what (laughs) alleged public service, it's politics, right? And so I get there and I start working on the Capitol Capitol Hill. uh, And I realize, you know, I'm not going to go into politics for sure. Um, I get involved in politics at that point because I, I, you know, I could just see kind of how it was, and I just wasn't digging it. And then I was thinking, okay, I came back, and I also saw I could see actually uh, through different points of my life, business people's impact on things. And but I never liked business really. I actually looked at it as something kind of in a way, just not enlightened. It was about like make because you see business people be like, oh, business guy, where is he? Oh, he's on a boat. He's got his Ferrari. He's got this and that. I didn't care about any of that crap. That's very superficial to me. I'm just not interested. So. I had zero. So what I was doing was I was studying. I was trying to develop my mind, get a broad view of things. So I was reading like everything. If you told me like Mother Teresa was outside, I, I would wait online for like three hours. If you told me Bill Gates was outside my door, I wouldn't even come out to see him. That's the kind of mentality I had. And but coming out, I had seen these different things. And I thought, OK, I spent two weeks in a monastery, a, a Christian monastery with Marianite monks. And these are monks from like a really old order of Lebanon. And so I spent this time with these these monks and in silence for two weeks. And that's kind of where I'd say I'd had my most pivotal aha moment that was defining, where I decided in the silent in silent prayer, actually, that I was called to business. 
which sounds kind of crazy. And in fact, what I would say for this would be good for listeners to know if you if people are out there that are very benevolent minded or very, you know, they have this heart that they want to like, you know, give back or do good stuff, right? That you can do it through business. Like and business is actually the best vehicle nowadays to do that. And I think, you know, 300 years ago, so a lot of because a lot of people are probably students of history, so they know history and stuff like that. It was probably in the military you should have joined if you wanted to have the biggest impact. And that's probably what I would have done if this was, you know, 300 years ago. But today, we're in a very unique time period in history where capitalism has been universally adopted. And you could become a business person, build build out a company, build out a product, deliver goods to people that they find valuable, and build out a great, a great team of excellent people that you actually invest in and you make them better. And you can make the, you can make humanity uplifted more through business. And it's a very fast moving thing. Um, so anyways, I had this aha moment when I was at the monastery. Literally, I was praying about things. I, I would literally spend the entire night in prayer. I mean, this is how much things were on my mind. I really wanted to figure out what am I going to do in my life. And I spent, you know, I would spend like, you know, until like f- I was one night I spent from like, you know, 9, 8, 9 p.m. to like 4.30 or 5 a.m. in the morning until the monks came back in for chance and in prayer, just thinking, what am I supposed to do? And I talked to one of the monks. I told him, hey, I have this, you know, this really strong feeling I'm supposed to do something very big, but it's through business. And the, and the monk said, um, you know, well, that's not bad, <laughs> which kind of surprised me, actually. I thought this is probably like a bad thing. It's maybe right. it's like a, more of like I'm being tempted sort of thing. I mean, for anybody who's a Christian, maybe they'll understand. If you're not a Christian, think about it more like, you know, we all have lower desires. Sometimes we want to do, you know, stuff that's not the best thing to do. Like, you know, if you're a married man, you shouldn't be looking at other women, right? So, there's some things you'll you have a tendency to do that's not a good thing, right? So I thought maybe this is a bad temptation or bad a bad tendency. I'm thinking I'm gonna go make money, and the monk said, "No, not that's not true. You know, we wouldn't have this monastery if it wasn't for bus- businessmen. They donated money here." He's like, "Well, we don't make any money," and so I was like, "That's a good point." And he said, "Listen, go." He read to me something he had memorized. Actually, he just had it memorized. So he just said it. It was some part of the scripture he said in the Old Testament um, to Elijah about how you can hear the voice of God. And he said, "It's not in the thunder." It's not in the fire. And he kind of said all these different things. He said, it's in the still quiet voice. And he said, go and spend more time in silence and then come back to me, you know, when you're ready and we'll talk again. So I did that. And I, I still felt this very strong, you know, I'm supposed to do this. This is where I'm supposed to go through business. And he said, well, you know, if it's from God, you just got to go for it. So that's kind of, that was the most defining thing. Cause when I got back home, I told my parents, you know, I'm going to be going into business. And my dad, my parents were like, well, my parents are teachers. And they're like, well, listen, you know, you should do something good with your life, basically. <laughs> my dad just really couldn't understand it. He was like, what is going on? Like, you know, my dad's a very charitable, good hearted guy. You know, he used to bring me to help out with different stuff, even as a kid. Um, uh, pantries, taking food out, bringing it out to people and, and helping out different families that were struggling. And he, he was, you know, he had to talk to me. He's like, listen, you know, you should become a teacher at least. You know, you got to do something like that helps people. And I said, listen, you know, I, I can do good through business and so, and it's a very fast moving thing in the world and I can serve people that that way. So and ended up being, he, he, I don't think he I think he's kind of getting it more now as he's seeing it. But I think for him, it was just so it was such a kind of foreign idea, you know. Um, but anyways, that's how I ended up. That was probably the most pivotal thing where I had this thing in my mind where I just realized, like, OK, this is what I got to do. And this is what, what I'm kind of best for. And that, that's it, you know. 
I mean, Fire Nation, the biggest thing right here is we all have this journey. And I mean, Peter's talked to us about so many different experiences in his life that have been pivotal for him, that have given him one piece of learning, a ton of learning. It's given him a mindset of abundance. It's given him this perspective. It's given him this drive. It's given him this patience. I mean, all these different things are just adding up to now where he was at a place where he was able to build this billion-dollar company. And now he's at a place where he's looking to create the biggest company in the world the world's ever seen at Trustwork. And so Fire Nation, Trustwork Nation, I mean, you better get used to hearing that because it is going to be everywhere. So that is just the progress, the aha moment that he's had over these years, over his lifetime. So Peter, you've just shared so much, so many learnings, all of this stuff. What do you really want to leave our listeners with? I mean, what do you want Fire Nation to really get about your journey, your aha moment, your success, your failures, what you have planned for the future, how you're going to impact and change the world? Go ahead, take the stage, take the mic, brother, take us home. Listeners out there, Some of you are entrepreneurs already. Some of you want to be an entrepreneur. Just make the play, become an entrepreneur. But what I would say that's different than what other people say is that being an entrepreneur doesn't mean you've got to go out and start your own business. You can be an entrepreneur in your station in life where you are. And the way you start to be an entrepreneur and the way you become an entrepreneur, and I expect everybody in my company and trust work to be an entrepreneur inside the company, all the teammates need to be an entrepreneur. Intrapreneur. We love that. Intrapreneur. Yeah. Yeah. And owning their development. And that's kind of what I'm saying to the audience here is own your development, develop your skills, your skills are your future equity and develop your knowledge base right now. You're already doing it anyways. So you're already, you're already acting as an entrepreneur and make moves, take risks, you know, be humble though, and, and have humility and try to surround yourself with people who call you out and basically and are honest people forthright. And, but start making moves, start getting out there and and be an entrepreneur for where you are and and make it happen. That that would be what I would what I would ask everybody and exhort them. And if I had an ask that was gonna be something to do with trust work, I would say you can do all that with trust work. By helping trust work uh, succeed, you're gonna be helping all the people in the world that we're trying to serve, which would include you, to succeed as well. Because our mission is to empower people to rise up and live abundantly. And that's really what gets me up in the morning. That's what I'm just jamming on. That's what everyone's jamming on. And it's about everybody. It's about trying to get all these people. I mean, I, when I was across 85 countries, I met all these different people, right? And there's talent everywhere. And there's people that are making a lot of sacrifice. They got families. They love their kids and they want their kids to come up. But they're in, they're in countries or they're in a spot even in the U.S. where they don't have access to capital, kind of like I didn't. They didn't have access to capital. They don't have the proper networks, which I didn't starting. I didn't have the proper networks. And they didn't, they didn't have the software tools. And that's what TrustWorks is going to give them is, the, is those three things. Without those three things, you're just not going to be able to make moves in today's economy. You need all three of them. You know, even this podcast you know, is being done using leveraging pretty sophisticated technology tools. I'm sure that yeah. JLD has, but we're going over Skype doing it, right? He's over in Puerto Rico living the good life. I'm out in <laughs> Seattle where it's raining, man. <laughs> Fire Nation, your skills are your future equity. I love how you put that, Peter. I just wanted to reiterate that for you, Fire Nation. Your skills are your future equity, period, end of story. And again, humbled, be humble. Be bold, Fire Nation. Have humility, but have courage. These are things that are key in your life, period, end of story. 
in Fire Nation, if you want to rise up and live abundantly, join the Trust Work Nation. Follow Peter Rex at Peter Rex on Twitter. And of course, trustwork.com is a place you can go inquire more about how to be a part of this movement, about how to be a part of this company, potentially. This is all at your fingertips, Fire Nation, because you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You've been hanging out with PR and JLD today, so keep up the heat. And Peter, I want to thank you, brother, for sharing your truth with Fire Nation today, your story, your journey. It was incredible. For that, we salute you, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Hi, JLD. Thank you. Thank you, Fire Nation. Hey, Fire Nation, today's value bomb content was brought to you by Peter Rex over at Trustwork. And if you're ready to master productivity, discipline, and focus, three of my favorite traits, well, visit themasteryjournal.com and you'll have the exact system you need to ignite. <laughs> visit themasteryjournal.com, Fire Nation. Use promo code podcast for a little discount and thank you for listening to the podcast. And I will catch you there or I'll catch you on the flip side. Ready to hire a team, but not sure where to start? Luckily, there's ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So what makes ZipRecruiter so smart? It learns what you like. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter and start reviewing applications, your feedback teaches ZipRecruiter's matching technology more about the precise skills and experiences you're looking for so it can invite more people who have them to apply. This helps you quickly get better and better candidates until you find the perfect one. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at Zip ZipRecruiter.com slash fire. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash fire. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.